welcome to the Election Ride Home for Thursday, February 6th, 2020. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman, with a summary of election news. Today, fundraising becomes key with a murky Iowa outcome and Super Tuesday looming. Sanders had a big January haul, a dust-up over Super PAC spending, more, yes, more on Iowa, the upcoming DNC debates, and a new Department of Justice policy on starting investigations into candidates and foreign spending. It is five days until New Hampshire, 26 days until Super Tuesday, and 271 days until the general election. And here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. Candidates should be fully focused on New Hampshire, the make or break for several potential nominees to show their strength before voters lose interest or they can no longer fund their campaign at an adequate level. And yet, multiple leading Democrats are leaving the field of play to attend fundraisers. Former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg spent last night and this morning fundraising in New York. Former Vice President Joe Biden has events to raise cash slated for next week, mostly off the campaign trail. Looking at Senator Bernie Sanders' campaign announcement today about January 2020 cash taken in and upcoming spending, you can see why other candidates are scrambling. The Sanders campaign said this morning it had raised $25 million in January from nearly 650,000 people, his best month so far in this campaign cycle. Sanders has outraised his competitors and brought in money from more donors, too, even including Senator Elizabeth Warren, whose campaign has done quite well with individual donors and appeals. Sanders' average donation in January was $18.72, and 99.9% of his donors haven't given him the maximum yet. Warren's campaign noted correctly that without definitive answers from Iowa, candidates couldn't build out fundraising efforts. Even Warren's solid third place in both votes and national pledge delegates she picked up should have let her market the need for more funds to compete effectively. Instead, the whole week was a damp squib. Sanders and Buttigieg were able to make some hay, though they couldn't have an election night celebration and advertise on the back of a win. By the way, entrepreneur Andrew Yang, who finished sixth with about 1% of Iowan statewide delegates, fired dozens of staff members this week, according to Politico. The Iowa muddle ultimately gave Sanders an advantage because he's been so good at raising money in small increments. Buttigieg and Biden rely more on larger donors. The two campaigns also have more money being spent on their behalf by super PACs, while Sanders has very little of that and Warren has had none spent for her. A quick recap of 2019 fundraising based on numbers released just a few days ago put Sanders at nearly $100 million raised for all of last year, Buttigieg at about $75 million, Warren over $70 million, and Biden over $60 million, though he entered the race in April 2019. Numbers drop off by half for candidates below Biden. 60% of Sanders' 2019 funds are from donations of $200 or less. Over half of Warren's are. In the wake of this record month, Sanders booked $5.5 million more in ads across 10 states on TV and online, including in some states he wasn't yet advertising. Meanwhile, reports indicate Warren's campaign cut between $350,000 and $500,000 in booked ad slots in Nevada and South Carolina. Presumably, this is to keep a cash hoard ready for Super Tuesday less than a month away, where she may be more competitive than any of the four early voting states. The Times estimates that Biden raised between 8 and $10 million in January, his best month since the campaign launch, but not sufficient compared to Sanders' fundraising and campaign chest. Dogpiling on Biden, by the way, is The Atlantic, which ran a feature this morning called How Biden Blew It, 
which details how it's been an open secret how poorly he was performing on the campaign trail. Quote, Biden and his aides have long insisted that they were totally fine with how few people were showing up to see him. They were not. They tried to fill the rooms. It didn't work. They learned to accept the crowds would never come and tried to build a campaign around never getting them. They failed. End quote. CNN raised the question earlier this week in an essay by Eric Bradner. Quote, the former vice president must now answer new doubts about his core argument. If a candidate who has framed his campaign around the notion that he's more electable than his rivals loses the first election of the nominating process, where does that leave him? On the Super PAC front, a little campaign kabuki happened on Twitter yesterday. Just to review, since two 2010 Supreme Court decisions, these high-end political action committees, known as Super PACs, can raise unlimited sums from corporations and individuals, and then spend them however they want, except by giving directly to candidates or to political parties. They also can't privately coordinate spending with candidates. On Wednesday, around noon, a strategist for the Buttigieg campaign, Michael Hall, tweeted, quote, Pete's military experience and closing message from Iowa work everywhere, especially in Nevada, where it's critical they see this on the air through the caucus, end quote. Roger Lau, Warren's campaign manager, retweeted Hall with this note, quote, Was this meant to be a direct message, or did you mean to tweet out this instruction to your super PAC? Fun fact about how some campaigns exploit our broken campaign finance laws. If it was a DM, it would be illegal, end quote. Lau is accurate. Publicly describing a desired strategy is perfectly legal. Privately coordinating is not. This is much like Henry II stating, as was later paraphrased, will no one rid me of this turbulent priest in 1170, which led four knights to go out and kill Thomas Beckett. Lau went on to use this to fundraise directly. Quote, we don't have a super PAC and we don't sell access to our candidate to fund our campaign, so donate to help our grassroots campaign. End quote. While Buttigieg said he wouldn't accept support from super PACs formed to back him, although technically he couldn't do anything to stop them either, the Vote Vets super PAC endorsed him in December. That group has spent $1.3 million on ads favoring him in New Hampshire. Buttigieg is the only military veteran among leading candidates, and Tulsi Gabbard, a U.S. House member from Hawaii, the only other veteran remaining in the race. A Buttigieg spokesperson, Chris Mayer, said in a statement in response to all this, quote, Pete is the only candidate who isn't a millionaire or billionaire. And if the largest progressive veterans group wants to help spread the word about his service, we welcome it, end quote. By the way, a pro-Biden super PAC spent around $6 million in Iowa, despite Biden's poor fourth place showing. It has $900,000 booked to spend on him in New Hampshire. Former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick, who barely shows up in national polls, is still campaigning hard and hopes for a surprise win or top position in South Carolina. Patrick, who is black, hopes to capitalize on Biden's poor Iowa showing. Biden has 50% of the support of black voters across multiple national polls, and black voters dominate the South Carolina primary. A pro-Patrick super PAC has booked $600,000 in TV ads in that state. The Election Ride Home is brought to you by Plexiderm. Imagine this Valentine's Day story is you. You're parked outside the restaurant where you're meeting your date in 10 minutes. Glancing in the mirror, you notice your wrinkles and large under-eye bags. You rummage through your bag thinking, where's your secret weapon? And there it is, Plexiderm. You apply the clear serum under your eyes and boom, two minutes later, you start seeing the under-eye bags and wrinkles disappearing in front of your eyes. You'll look years younger. 
Flexiderm is the clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. It's the Valentine's Day gift you give yourself. Go to TryPlexiderm.com and enter Voices for 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. Again, enter Voices at TryPlexiderm.com to get 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mention code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee, so to get my special discount, enter VOICES at TryPlexiderm.com. Deborah's home was stolen. No, I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls title theft one of the fastest-growing white-collar crimes. And this story is why you need Home Title Lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to our home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned our home. Wait, it gets worse. Deborah goes on to say, I was evicted from my own home and 85 grand in equity gone. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. This is why you need Home Title Lock, because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if your home's title has been tampered with. You need to protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. Go to HomeTitleLock.com now for 60 risk-free days of protection. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. You know, I would have thought by now we would have stopped talking about Iowa. Yet, here it is Thursday, and we still don't have 100% of results. It's at 97% as I record. The Iowa Democratic Party is literally waiting for the snail mail, as some caucus precinct chairs apparently dropped their tally sheets into the mail. Just after noon today, Democratic National Committee Chair Tom Perez called for a re-canvas via a tweet. Quote, enough is enough in light of the problems that have emerged in the implementation of the delegate selection plan. And in order to assure public confidence in the results, I am calling on the Iowa Democratic Party to immediately begin a re-canvas. End quote. He explained further, quote, a re-canvas is a review of the worksheets from each caucus site to ensure accuracy. The IDP, Iowa Democratic Party, will continue to report results. End quote. The New York Times ran a story today in which the headline tells the whole tale. Iowa caucus results riddled with errors and inconsistencies. This matches other reporting in the last few days about the tally sheets that were supposed to track each caucus, provide initial and final numbers, and were used to calculate state delegate equivalents, or SDEs, which were in turn used to estimate national pledge delegates from Iowa's pool of 41 who will be heading to the Democratic National Convention. The New York Times noted, quote, according to a New York Times analysis, more than 100 precincts reported results that were internally inconsistent, that were missing data, or that were not possible under the complex rules of the Iowa caucuses, end quote. The story, filed by several members of its political and data analysis staff, went on to note, quote, some of these inconsistencies may prove to be innocuous, and they do not indicate an intentional effort to compromise or rig the result. There is no apparent bias in favor of the leaders, Pete Buttigieg or Bernie Sanders, meaning the overall effect on the winner's margin may be small, end quote. That matters in calculating a so-called winner from Iowa because the results have narrowed to a ridiculous degree. As I record this, the 97% precinct count shows Buttigieg with 42,235 votes in the final alignment of caucus goers in each precinct, the one that decides the SDEs. Sanders has 44,753 votes. Yes, 
that's 2,500 more votes. But each caucus has delegates allocated that don't correspond to who comes to the caucus, but rather the precinct they represent. A friend on Twitter last night called this high school electoral college. As a result, Buttigieg leads among SDEs over Sanders by 550 to 547, or 26.2 to 26.1%. The SDEs decide national pledge delegates. Yesterday, the Times and other outlets were estimating 10 or 11 each for the top two and five for Warren. However, without the final counts, the Times removed its national delegate estimate. Biden and Klobuchar will receive at least one delegate each, and that can't be figured out, apparently, until the voting is all done. Meanwhile, I unintentionally spread an error on Twitter last night and tried to make up for it by retweeting better information, and the original tweet was in fact also deleted. Someone at a group allegedly devoted to election result integrity examined posted pictures of the tally sheets and thought they had found a rounding error. This group's error is easy to spot because the tally sheets contained two different rules for rounding up. For alignment counts, fractions had to be rounded to the next whole number, but for SDE calculations, they were supposed to be rounded normally, from 0.5 and higher up to the next whole number, below 0.5, down to the previous whole number. As I note, these rounding rules were on the tally sheet and not presented perfectly either, but another rule was not, and it's long been in place. Because each precinct had a set number of SDEs allotted, after rounding, another rule is applied if fewer delegates were calculated from votes than the precinct has to send. In that case, the highest fractions below 0.5 received the additional SDE in order of amount. Very clear. Yes, sure. Democracy. Hooray! The satirical newspaper The Onion wrote in 2004 about Iowa, quote, In a surprising last-minute upset, all seven Democratic presidential hopefuls somehow lost the Democratic primaries Tuesday. End quote. Okay, then. Did results have to be presented this fast? Well, yes, Iowa's caucuses and the New Hampshire primaries are just eight days apart. As I noted earlier, candidates rise and fall on the fundraising and narratives that result from Iowa. The uncertainty has potentially hobbled candidates who performed more poorly in a state that's far whiter than most of America, even though its population is ever less agrarian and increasingly dense in cities and structured more and more around non-farm economic forces. On top of this, by the way, it came out this morning that the notorious message forum 4chan had posted the phone number that precinct chairs could call as their backup or primary way to report results on Monday night. The lines were tied up by trolls. Perfect chef's kiss emoji. What a great way to start the season. Fortunately, and I'm not being sarcastic, Iowa isn't how American elections are run. Volunteers staff the caucuses. It's not designed with rigor, but to encourage discussion. It's ostensibly designed to be fair, but the process is not nearly as organized as a regular election, nor as professional. Elections in the 3,000 counties, parishes, boroughs, and other municipal entities in America are managed by professionals and paid staffers. While they may sometimes require recounts in tight races, and sometimes counts change because of electronic scanning of hand-marked ballots, which in turn can produce conspiracy theories, the biggest threat to election integrity is not something like what happened in Iowa, which is a political process badly managed. Rather, the biggest threat to election integrity is voter suppression. And we'll be talking more about that as the year progresses. There are three candidate debates before Super Tuesday, remarkably enough. Is that too many? I, I don't know. I think the DNC wanted to avoid the appearance of favoritism and offer the chance for more candidates to be heard. However, it pretty quickly shook out to almost all white people, most of them men. Anyway, the eighth debate takes place tomorrow night, February 7th, in Manchester, New Hampshire, co-hosted by WMUR-TV and 
Apple News, of all things. Seven of the conceivably top nine remaining candidates have qualified under a combination of donor and poll threshold rules. That's everybody but Representative Tulsi Gabbard and billionaire media mogul Mike Bloomberg, who sat out the first four states and isn't accepting donations. Gabbard's campaign said on January 26th that she had met the donor threshold. Gabbard has also met two of the four qualifying national poll thresholds. The deadline for qualifying polls is today. Had Iowa actually managed to complete its caucuses, anyone who won at least one national pledge delegate would also have gotten a spot on the stage. However, that's a complete overlap with those who qualified by other means. On February 19th, the ninth debate will occur in Las Vegas, Nevada, co-hosted by NBC News and MSNBC in partnership with the Nevada Independent. NBC announced the moderators today. NBC Nightly News and Dateline NBC anchor Lester Holt, Meet the Press moderator and NBC News political director Chuck Todd, NBC chief White House correspondent and host of MSNBC Live, Hallie Jackson, Noticias Telemundo senior correspondent Vanessa Hauk, and John Ralston of the Nevada Independent. That debate has higher thresholds, as I mentioned a few days ago, given that the top five national contenders will, by the cutoff time, have all received at least one pledged delegate from Iowa or New Hampshire, we will certainly see Biden, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, Sanders, and Warren. The ninth debate has higher poll thresholds, as I mentioned a few days ago, but receiving at least one pledged delegate from Iowa or New Hampshire qualifies you automatically. So, given that the top five national contenders will, by the cutoff time for the ninth debate, have received a pledged delegate, we will certainly see Biden, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, Sanders, and Warren. For the alternate qualifying rules, the DNC no longer requires a donor count of any kind, but... With the top five already on the board, only a couple of others might have a podium. That could include Bloomberg, who has one qualifying national poll where he received 10% or more, but he has until February 18th to acquire three more. Yang is probably out based on polling, although it is possible he could pick up a pledge delegate in New Hampshire. Steyer has one of the two 12% or higher statewide polls required in early states. He hit 18% in South Carolina due to his high spending. If he gets one more in Nevada or a different polling firm in South Carolina, he's in. So in the scenario that favors candidates the most with current trends for the best polling and delegate outcomes, the ninth debate stage could see Biden, Bloomberg, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, Sanders, Steyer, Warren, and Yang. That is a lot of people for this late in the stage, and it sort of emphasizes the criticism that the DNC received earlier in the process when earlier debates excluded some of the candidates who were still in contention, like Senator Cory Booker. The DNC's thresholds for this debate allow Bloomberg to be on stage if he hits the polling marks, which he has achieved entirely by spending hundreds of millions of dollars of his own money. In the wake of the chaos in Iowa, reports indicate Bloomberg plans to spend much more in the coming weeks. Criteria for the 10th debate hasn't been set. That will be in Charleston, South Carolina on February 25th, the last debate slated before the South Carolina primary, which is the last early state primary, March 3rd is Super Tuesday. The four early states award a total of just 155 delegates, with South Carolina providing 54, or about a third of those. Super Tuesday has 1,357 to award, and 415 of those come from California, and 228 from Texas. It's going to be a big day. Finally, this is not your impeachment update because the impeachment trial is over. 
But some do worry about how the emboldened president might pursue aggressive government-led witch hunts against his political opponents. Attorney General Bill Barr today told his Department of Justice staff what guidelines need to be enforced on such investigations. The new rules require the FBI and all Department of Justice divisions to clear investigations into any presidential or vice presidential candidate by providing written notice to the department and then receiving Barr's written approval. The policy also requires that for other election-related matters, that investigations must be cleared with high-level supervisors or division chiefs. This includes looking into Senate and House candidates and their campaigns, as well as, quote, illegal contributions, donations or expenditures by foreign nationals to a presidential or congressional campaign, end quote. Now, an optimist might say this prevents a James Comey-like last-minute intrusion into the voting process with bad information that could throw a race regardless of Comey's motivations. Bravo! A cynic might say instead, this would scupper any additional investigations into Trump and his campaign's activities, as well as any politician he supports. So, should we be cynical? And that's the election roundup for today. I am your host, Glenn Fleischman. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Election Podcast or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Election Ride Home. I am also on Twitter at Glenn F. That's G-L-E-N-N-F like Frank. Tune in again tomorrow for more election news. Thank you for listening and have a pleasant rest of your day. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.